Hello, my name is Bonnie Grace Gilday Kennedy, and I'm the owner of Grace of Healing, where I serve as an Akashic Consultant and Healer. My intention for this podcast is to serve as an inspiration to you finding your own healing through self-love. Together, we will spend time exploring topics that lead us to a deeper understanding of what self-love is and what it looks like for each of us as individuals on our own journey. I am especially excited about interviewing inspiring guests whom have created great feats of healing for themselves through their own acts of self-love. Episode 2 of Self-Love with Grace of Healing. I'm excited about sharing with you the story of my journey with the Akashic Masters. I'd like to start with you today by providing an understanding of who the Akashic Masters are. The Akashic Masters are the manifestation of the Akasha energy field. When I refer to the Akasha Masters, I'm not referring to them as beings, but as an energy field that knows each of us throughout our incarnations. They have not existed as humans, but they support us by providing a space in which we can learn about the true nature of who we are in connection to the divine. The Akasha energy field exists to support physical beings on their journey to living joyfully. It provides us the opportunity to experience healing from current and past life trauma and pain. They exist for our existence. Working with them can lead us to our highest and greatest potential as spiritual beings. The experience of working with the masters begins with the most basic understanding and healing of emotional, psychological, and spiritual pain, which can be rooted in this or past lives. The focus of the work allows the person affected the opportunity to heal and move through those experiences to become whole and integrated beings. Continued and more advanced healing with the Akashic Masters focuses on the individual soul purpose, spiritual expansion, and service to others. The ultimate goal of working with them is to empower the individual to live his or her best life through understanding who he or she really is. That knowledge can strengthen their capacity to connect to their higher consciousness, creating a life lived in a state of joy. My relationship with my masters, guides, and teachers had begun in my childhood. If you listened to the previous episode of Self-Love with Grace of Healing, you know that I lived in an abusive home while growing up. Throughout my childhood, I had auditory experiences of voices that I didn't have the cognitive ability to understand. Though I didn't understand what was happening, I always felt the messages were based in love. What I now know is those experiences were guidance from my own masters, guides, and teachers. Sometimes I would be in a classroom with a teacher or another adult at the park, and I would see what I would describe to you as a video playing out of that person harming another. I would immediately know I wasn't safe around that person 
and I would leave if I could to protect myself. I didn't know it at the time, but that same way I received messages then would serve me working as a channel for the Akashic Masters later in life. As a young adult, I had very few experiences with my guides and teachers. I was not in tune with my own higher self, and I was just trying to get through the days being a young wife and mother. When I did have experiences, I would feel confused and afraid. My husband at the time would just tell me I was crazy, and it didn't take me long to stop opening up to him about those experiences. Due to many issues with that marriage, I left my first husband. When I left, I felt it was necessary for my safety to get some distance from my soon-to-be ex-husband. I left Tennessee and I moved to North Carolina. A short time after I had arrived, I had a significant spiritual experience with my guides and I would like to share that experience with you. One night in 1998, I was driving a lady home from an AA meeting in Greenville, North Carolina. We were headed east on a four-lane highway at about 8.30 p.m. There was a black suburban in front of us. On the other side of the highway in the distance, there was a small car heading west. The night was quiet and dark. The lady in my passenger seat was telling me a story about her neighbors. I was uninterested and I was watching the road. I noticed the car heading west was making a left and was intending to proceed east. As if in slow motion, the little car, which turned out to be a Toyota Corolla, made that left right in front of the Suburban. The two cars collided. I felt my stomach sink. I stopped. I was the only car in the area when the collision happened. I got out of the car. I was in a deep state of panic and I'd begun running toward the vehicle. I clearly heard a voice say, go to the Suburban. Immediately, I looked at the Suburban on its side and noticed some liquid as steam was coming out from under the hood. I said out loud, I can't. The voice said, there are two children in the back seat. You have to help. I was so afraid my body went numb. I forced myself to get up on the Suburban from the front tire. The entire time I was climbing, I just kept repeating to myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I banged on the driver's side window and the driver, who was a female, woke up and started screaming about the boys in the back seat. She was yelling at me to get them out of the car. Help me. Please get them out of the car. She had to unlock the automatic door so I could open it. She is saying something to the boys trying to wake them up. And I'm trying to figure out how to open their door when I'm sitting on the driver's door. Again, this is my mantra. I can't do this. I continue hearing the voices directing me as to what to do and how to do it. I remember getting the doors open and somehow pulling out the first child. The lady had gotten out of her seat and helped me get the second child out. I was still in a state of panic and so afraid. Soon, a couple of state troopers had come over to the SUV and took the boys and the mother to the side of the road. I too went to sit at the side of the road as I sat in disbelief about all I had encountered. 
I was as shocked by my experience with my masters and guides as I was with a car accident. The accident, the voices, at the time, it just didn't make sense to me. By the time I'd shifted to the present moment and gotten out of my head about the experience I had just had, there was a medevac helicopter and several state troopers were present. After the police completed taking statements, the mother came to me, gave me her phone number, hugged me, and thanked me several times. She wanted me to know her boys were good boys. They'd been to a soccer tournament and they were just headed home. I never called her, but I think of that family and I wonder about those boys and their mother, where they may be and if they're happy. The look on her face when she was holding them afterwards is etched in my mind. I know she loves them deeply. Unfortunately, the passenger in the Corolla died. Her partner, who was driving, had a broken leg and was hospitalized. The newborn baby in the back seat was uninjured, but had just lost its mother. I shared that story with you because those voices I now know are my guides and teachers. We all have them. Each of us have guides from this lifetime and past lifetimes to support us on our journey. Our capacity to open up to them, listen to them, and trust them is the determining factor as to whether we utilize their wisdom to change ourselves and our lives. Connecting to your masters doesn't have to be such a dramatic experience, but that moment in time during that car accident is when I started to have a different perception about myself and the world we live in. My world had begun to change. My mind was beginning to open to broader experiences of reality. It would be another profound experience a few years later with my guides that would change my world forever. When my late husband Kevin and I got together, he would listen to me talk about the unexplainable experiences I would have. I thought it would be safe to share the experiences with him. He didn't believe or disbelieve. He didn't have similar experiences to compare my experiences to, so he would just listen. He never told me I was crazy. One night, the first week of November 2013, I was lying next to Kevin in bed. We were holding hands and going to sleep. I had a very close-up vision of Kevin's beautiful blue eyes. The eyes were hollow, as if he were dead. That vision scared me. I tried everything to think about something else. I knew in that moment in time that he was going to die. Within days, I started feeling uncomfortable with my thoughts. I'd begun obsessively thinking about Kevin having a heart attack and dying. So I gathered up my courage and I told him what I was seeing and feeling. As I told him about my experience, I had a vision of him dead. He literally laughed out loud when I told him. He said, baby, I'm in great physical condition. I'm going to live to be a hundred. Stop worrying about things that aren't even true. I tried to move forward and not think about it. I wish I could have taken the message as lightly as he did. A couple of nights later, we were holding hands going to sleep and I felt a deep pain in my heart that felt like a cramp. I let go of his hand and it stopped. I took his hand and it started again. I got up from the bed and I went to the living room. I cried myself to sleep on the couch. The next morning, Kevin asked what had happened and why I was on the couch. When I told him, he got frustrated with me and told me I was letting my imagination 
get the best of me. He said he appreciated that I cared about him, but to please stop. I did stop. I continued to have the same experiences, but I quit talking about them with him. I was becoming more and more afraid, and I was feeling like maybe I was going crazy. A few days before Christmas, Kevin and I had a conversation, and we were both feeling very disconnected. I told him I couldn't stop the visions, and it was horrible to live with the feeling and the belief that he was going to die. I was feeling so afraid. Out of frustration and causing him to be upset with me, I said to him, you know what, you're right, I won't ever mention it again, and maybe I should just find someone to talk to. But what was actually happening to me was that my body was holding all the fear. I was working out every day, trying to manage my feelings. I would fall asleep watching TV so I didn't have to think about it. I just couldn't imagine lying next to him in bed and going to sleep. On Christmas morning, I was up and had begun preparing the Christmas meal. One of Kevin's sisters came over to have lunch with us. I was preparing food and listening to the two of them talk. I heard his sister say, What's wrong with Bonnie? He responded by telling her about our conversations. His sister directed the conversation towards me and said, Kevin is the healthiest person in our family. He isn't going to die. I told her I'd promise not to talk about it anymore and we dropped the subject. Inside, I was afraid and confused as I continued to see visions of him dead. And I kept my promise the best I could. Four days later, on December 29th, 2013, I found Kevin dead from a heart attack, lying in our bed on a Sunday afternoon. Why couldn't he listen to me was my first thought. While I was frantically providing CPR, trying to bring him back, I was crying hysterically. I couldn't calm down and I wouldn't stop trying to bring him back. I felt him come from behind me, wrap his arms around me, and tell me it was okay and to stop. Yes, I felt the arms of someone who had just died tell me to stop trying to save him. That wasn't the last of my interactions with him after his death. After he died, I felt his presence. Several people had come to stay at the house and I went to bed. I couldn't sleep. I felt him with me, his presence. I could feel him kissing my forehead and it felt like sweet butterfly wings caressing me. I could almost see him and I could feel his love. I missed him so much. I craved those moments of connection with him, the moments I could feel him and have a conversation. Those moments created an opening and a comfortability communicating freely with those who had crossed over. And because of those moments of connection with him, I had lost my fear of the voices I had heard in the past. A few weeks after my husband died, I'd begun thinking about hospice counseling. I decided I would try one appointment and see if it helped. I didn't think I could feel any worse and I hoped that some support would be helpful. I went to my appointment and started speaking with a counselor about my experiences. She was intrigued. She thought my story about my husband's death and continued presence was interesting and should be addressed. She gave me the contact information of a local Akashic channel. At that time, I was very deep in my grief, and all things around that experience are not clear. But there are a few things I do remember from that appointment. One, she said something like, 
who's been waiting for you. And she called me Bonnie Grace. Until that time, only my late husband and a few friends called me Bonnie Grace. Another thing she said was, you will do this work. You're here to do this work. When she said those words, I felt it. I felt the statement of being here to do the Akashic work were some of the most true words I had ever heard. My entire body knew it and my soul opened up. I cried and I cried in joy. I knew I would. I knew I would do this work. I reconnected with her and within months, she had a friend come into town to teach people to read their records and then the records of others. I signed up for the classes and within months, I'd learned to open my own records and channel for others. I had learned specifically to channel the Akashic Masters. I didn't know what my relationship with the Akashic Masters was going to look like, but this is how it went. My first work was about trusting myself enough to listen to the messages of the Akashic Masters. As my trust in myself began to grow, my trust in what the Akashic Masters had to say had begun to grow too. When I learned to open my own Akashic Records, I was instructed to go into my records each day for 30 days. The teacher gave me a list of suggested questions and I worked through them in about a week. Those questions were good, but I wanted more. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to heal. Each morning, I would get up, meditate, pray, and go into my Akashic Records. The last question I would ask each day was, is there anything else I need to know? Each day, I was given a piece of information I could use to heal. If I was having a difficult time understanding something or the information I received just didn't make sense to me, the masters would show me a vision from the experience I was trying to process. I would ask what to do to heal from the experience and they would give me very precise instructions. Sometimes I would work on the same issue for days at a time and I would process it by experiencing all of my emotions over and over. Next, I would clear the chakra related to wherever the experience had energetically landed in my body. This was the most focused healing time of my life. I was growing and healing, and I was finding a deep connection to the masters and to myself. With that connection, I felt a true acceptance and unconditional love. I found I wasn't just healing from the trauma of my husband's death. I was healing. All of the parts of me I didn't even know existed were having a light shined upon them, and I was healing. I wanted to others to know about the possibility of this healing for themselves. After a month had passed, I went into my records and asked the Akashic Masters about taking the class to channel them for others. At that time, it was verified to me that I would be spending my life engaging in healing work, not just for myself, but for others too. I was told about past lifetimes of working with the Akashic Masters and that this lifetime would be the final time. I have embraced this opportunity to the fullest extent of my capabilities since hearing that information. When I'd first begun channeling the Akashic Masters for others, the basis of the sessions about things that were currently happening in their lives, past life experiences, and future possibilities. After a few years of working with the masters, the sessions had begun to change. The Akashic masters started relating past trauma to the client's current life issues. 
those experiences were given to me as if a video was being played out right in front of me. Yes, remember I shared that experience from my childhood of seeing a video of things happening? I knew I could trust the information that came in that way. I would have an understanding of the issue and the masters would channel the information through me to serve the client. When channeling a session, I follow the guidance of the Akashic Masters in an energy of love, compassion, and healing. The session begins with a prayer asking specifically for guidance, protection, and permission to serve the client. I address any issue or questions the client has. When the client's questions have been addressed, the Akashic Masters then move into the direction of what else needs to be discussed to create healing and an expansion for the client. When a client has addressed and processed all the information shared with them, the masters begin to move and heal stagnant energy trapped in the emotional and energetic body. The energy work is channeled through my own physical and energetic bodies. After the energy work, the masters provide the client with guidance on how to continue to move forward on their journey of healing. That session often serves as the beginning of that person's relationship with the Akashic masters. My relationship with the Akashic Masters continues to grow and change. Besides my practice of offering one-on-one -on -one consultations, I have been teaching others to open their own records. And this last year, I've begun teaching others to channel the Akashic Masters. It is my personal goal to make this work available to all who have a desire to heal. This podcast is a direct result of the self-love I have experienced working with the masters. My hope is we each become so in love with ourselves and our lives that we don't have room for anything other than actions of healing and love toward ourselves and each other. Thank you for tuning in to episode two of Self-Love with Grace of Healing. Please join me for the next episode where I interview artist and healer, Linda Goh. Linda will teach us to create balance in our chakra system through sound. Linda's work has been instrumental creating healing for me on my own journey of healing to self-love. For more information on self-love, the Akashic Masters, or this podcast, you can go to www.graceofhealingnc.com. Audio and music production is by Linda Goh. To connect with her, you can go to kamalacove.org.